Thank you, Handbell Choir. Good morning, everyone. Grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Good to be here on uh, this beautiful Palm Sunday. It, start, it didn't start out this way. I don't know uh, how early y'all were up, but uh, there was an amazing fog that kind of just engulfed Wrightsville Beach early this morning. And uh, I, I thought it was going to rain. There was a forecast early in the week that said we might get some rain today. And I thought, well, that'll be great. If you look at our, um, our sermon title, it says, Don't Rain on My Parade. That's more than a Barbara Streisand song today. Um, I thought, man, if it rained, that would just add to the mood of what I'm trying to get across. That'll be great. My wife, on the other hand, she had a completely different uh, take on this. She is the pastor at Trinity United Methodist Church. And um, and they are, have not been able to worship in their Market Street location since Hurricane Florence. So um, seven months later, today is the first Sunday that they are going to be able to, um, to worship there on Market Street. And they're really excited and they're gathering outside and they're going to process in just like, uh, you know, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, you know, for Palm Sunday. And she's like, it can't rain, it can't rain, don't let it rain. So anyway, so I'm glad it's not raining for her sake, and, um, and I do want to just lift that up and celebrate with our brothers and sisters, and, uh, and of course my wife, um, who are worshiping uh, together downtown for the first time since Hurricane Florence. Our scripture lesson is uh, from Matthew 21. It is the traditional Palm Sunday scripture. Um, we're going to begin in verse 1. When they'd come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and he'll send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Almighty and everlasting God, we thank you for this day. And as Jesus marched triumphantly into Jerusalem, may he once again come triumphantly into our hearts, leading us to places sometimes we don't want to go, but to the places that he leads, the places of service, the places of discipleship. Help us to follow in Jesus' name. Amen. What a, what a beautiful scene, right, in this story. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty well-known story. If you've spent uh, years in the church, if you've been uh, growing up going to Sunday school, you know, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, it is a lovely story, a magnificent story. It is full of drama. A story so well told, honestly, that preachers sometimes struggle to come up with a new way to talk about it year after year, I'll be honest. You know, after the story's read, there's not a whole lot left. I mean, there's plot, there's movement, there's atmosphere, there's emotion. They're all here in the biblical account. There's high drama at its best. But once you've said all of that, you have to add that Palm Sunday is also kind of a terrifying day. 
right? Because we know the storm clouds are forming. We can't escape the terror of this text. We cannot avoid the dark and sinister events that follow the days of Palm Sunday. We know what's coming. An innocent man is about to be murdered. And it's even more shocking because we know that God knows what is happening and doesn't put a stop to it. I mean, it was shocking enough back in the Old Testament when God told Abraham to kill his only son Isaac and burn his body on a makeshift altar. But at least then God provided that ram in the thicket to make the actual sacrifice. Here we're told that God demands the sacrifice of another only son, only this time it's God's only son. How can a loving God do such a thing? Can we really honestly and openly speak about the terrifying reality of this in church? Or or is it just too appalling, just too gross, too disgusting? I'll be honest, as your pastor, I want to make you feel good, right? I want to bring you words of comfort and joy. And I fight the temptation to try to protect you from encountering this terrifying side of the Christian story. You know, I want to preach about hosannas and hallelujahs and people singing and shouting for joy and waving their palm branches in the grand parade of Palm Sunday. I don't want to be Dougie Downer today. You don't want me to be Dougie Downer. So instead of talking about the death of Jesus, I could simply pause here at Palm Sunday and talk about maybe how important Christian praise is. And maybe we'll sing a bunch of praise hymns, for instance. I could skip right over Maundy Thursday and Good Friday, and and next Sunday you could come to church and hear about the triumph of Easter and the resurrection. We could just move from one celebration to another. I mean, that would be a lot more fun, right? Then I could try to reassure you maybe that the days between Palm Sunday and Easter weren't really all that bad. You know, after all, just as God provided that ram in the thicket for Abraham and Isaac, he provided an empty tomb for Jesus. We could move from one Sunday to another in triumph and never have to actually deal with all the messy stuff that happens in between. Just look the other way. Pretend it never happened. We could be silent about the pain and suffering of life. Just press it down. Don't speak of it like so much of the pain in our own lives that we just try to ignore. You know, just put on a happy face. Cover it all up. We could do that. It'd be easier for me. Quite frankly, it'd be probably easier for y'all too. Whenever I read the account of Palm Sunday, I remember how the event is depicted in one of my favorite musicals of all time, Jesus Christ Superstar. Anybody seen this? Okay, oh, good, lots of people in this service. Wow, there. Yeah, Uh, so do you remember um, in in the show, the the Palm Sunday crowd, they're singing, Christ, you know I love you. Did you see I waved? Right, you remember that line? Well, as your pastor... I take my responsibility to nurture your spiritual growth very seriously. So we can't simply skip from Palm Sunday to Easter morning and avoid talking about what happened in between. You can't get from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday without going through Good Friday. Before Jesus could be resurrected, he had to die. So I have to talk about the pain this morning because the same crowd that shouted Hosanna to Jesus on Palm Sunday, the very same crowd that sang, Christ, you know I love you, did you see me, I waved, 
are the same people who, before the week is out, will realize that Jesus is not exactly the kind of Messiah they were looking for. And before the week is over, they will turn him over to the officials and demand his death. That ought to be a familiar theme to us. I mean, we often bow our heads in thanksgiving when our prayers have been answered. But then how quickly the mood shifts to anger and resentment when what we pray for doesn't come as expected in a nice, neat little package. The Bible speaks about this often. There are lots of stories in anger and resentment in the Bible. So the subject this morning is death, specifically the death of Jesus. And again, I feel as if I should apologize for talking about this on Palm Sunday. Many of you came to hear about the parade and the party and the beautiful children waving their palm branches and shouts of Hosanna bouncing off the walls. I hate to rain on anybody's parade, but today's subject is death. Now, it's not that I'm an overly serious person, mind you, you know, so that I'm like prevented psychologically from preaching about Hosanna. I mean, I would hope that you know me better than that by now, right? I mean, many of you have commented favorably about my use of humor from the pulpit, and others, on the other hand, have said they're the worst jokes they've ever heard in their life, but uh, that's okay. Either way, you know I appreciate humor, and I also appreciate singing. So if you haven't gotten the point by now, let me say again, I'd much rather not talk about this dark, heavy, messy subject. But in order for the resurrection to take place, Jesus must die. To be involved with Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus, means we have to talk about death. And I know it's not a pleasant subject. It's a horrible scene. The Son of God nailed to a cross. One of the most agonizingly cruel methods of execution ever devised. And yet this is what the Apostle Paul made the center of his preaching. You remember what Paul said to the church in Corinth? He said, I decided to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. And it wasn't just morbid old Paul who took this approach. Jesus himself made his death central to his mission. How many times did he tell his disciples that his death was unavoidable? It wasn't because he was melancholy. Remember that among the many rumors that uh, were spread about Jesus was that he was a party animal. Right? I mean, I'm serious, you know. I mean, they called him a glutton. They said he hung out with drunks and with prostitutes. And he even says the kingdom of God is like a, a banquet. And, and, and then there's that one time where the party starts getting lame and he turns the water into wine, right? You know, I mean, people, honestly, they, they thought of him as a kind of a party animal. Um, you don't get that kind of reputation by walking in a room and sucking the life out of it. No, when he, he talked about life in the kingdom, he talked about life abundant. So don't you think Jesus found it difficult to talk about his own death? Notice that whenever the subject had to be brought up, he'd take the disciples to some private place, right? And and, and he'd he'd get them all alone. Because it had to be hard for Jesus to talk about his death. But he wanted his disciples to understand what was about to happen. Whenever I visit people who are in failing health, whether it be due to a terminal illness or 
just old age, um, I sometimes feel the need to bring up the subject of death. I, I, I will ask people, you know, um, what, what kind of hymns do you want sung at your funeral? You know, are there, are there any particular lines of scripture that you'd like read? Or, or I may even say, you know, what do you think heaven might be like? I feel the need to ask those kinds of questions sometimes, but there are other times when I don't. Because it just seems like it would spoil the mood, you know? It's just too heavy, too dark, too messy, too real, quite frankly. It's much more fun to talk to people about sports and the weather and the latest doctor visit or visiting children or grandchildren or anything else other than death. Uh, it's so much better to talk about the, the pursuits of life rather than the inevitability of death. It's offensive to talk about death. We don't talk about death among polite company. But we have to, don't we? The New Testament is filled with talk about the death of Jesus. And I know that's not a popular topic these days. You know, all that blood and suffering and sacrifice turns people off. Too many folks today seem to be looking for a risk-free, cost-free, painless, bloodless faith. You know, like the ouchless band-aid. They want an ouchless Christianity. But again, I hate to rain on anybody's parade. But there is no ouchless Christianity. Because honestly, what could light mean to those who've never experienced darkness? And what can redemption mean to those who've never experienced separation? And what can resurrection mean to those who've never walked through the valley of the shadow of death and stopped for a while at the foot of the cross and tried to understand it? So we must talk about death here at church. Specifically the death of Jesus, who died. He was crucified. Why? You know, many people ask me that, you know, they have over the years. They'll say, you know, if God is an all-loving God and he's an all-powerful God, then, you know, why didn't he just, like, tell us we were forgiven? You know, like, you know, like he did at the creation, you know, when he spoke and poof, there was light, right? You know, why didn't he just, you know, poof, we're forgiven, you know? Why did Jesus have to die? Well, the only way I know to answer that question is to provide an example from human relationships. So, stay with me now. Suppose a husband has been unfaithful to his wife. And he goes to her and tells her what he's done, and how sorry he is, and how bad he feels about it. And he promises never to do it again if she'll just forgive him. And when the confession and apology are finished, what would it mean if his wife said to him, Oh, honey, that's okay, don't worry about it. Happens all the time. No big deal. Let's just forget it ever happened. Now, do you think the husband's going to feel like he's been forgiven? No, he's not. What his wife has basically said to him is, I don't really care what you do one way or another. You're not important enough for it to make any difference to me. I'm not going to lose any sleep over anything you do. What would it take to convince the unfaithful husband that his wife has actually forgiven him? Just words? Ah, that's okay, no big deal. No, I don't think that would do it. There's no real forgiveness there. Would it not take some action on the wife's part, some reaching out, taking his hand, taking him into her arms, and yet how costly that would be to her? 
she'd have to give up something of herself, now wouldn't she? She'd have to give up her anger and her resentment at having been betrayed by someone that she loved. Now, can you imagine that happening? I mean, it'd be really tough. I got to confess, I'd struggle in that situation. It can only be described as an act of mercy, an act of unconditional love, an act of grace. And yet, that's really what it would take to demonstrate true forgiveness in that situation, now, wouldn't it? Words themselves wouldn't do it. You can talk all day and you can talk all night about loving and forgiving and accepting someone, but talk is cheap. It's only when words are transformed into action that belief really occurs. So if God had simply said, you know, oh, that's okay, don't worry about it, I forgive you again, you know, would it have been enough to convince us that God really loves and forgives us? No, God shows his love to us at Calvary, on the cross, in the death of his only son. Now, it's not Easter yet, but it won't be long now, just seven short days, and what joy that will be when we get there. No more Dougie Downer, but we do have a big problem. To get from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday we got to walk through a graveyard in the dark. The only road from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday is straight through Good Friday. That road is not an easy one to walk. Those who don't have the stomach for the journey, those who seek that ouchless faith that we talked about will think little about things until next Sunday. They'll show up just in time for the trumpets and the lilies and the hallelujah chorus, right? The rest of us, We better hang on to one another just as tightly as we can as we tiptoe past the tombstones and stand together at the foot of the cross. And we must not look the other way when we get there. Yeah, it'll hurt to see him hanging there, knowing the agony that he's going through and knowing further that the only reason he's doing it is because of his love for you and me. Yes, there'll be another shout that will ring out on Good Friday, and it won't be Hosanna, and it won't be Christ, you know I loved you, did you see I waved? No, it'll be, it is finished. And the Son of God will die for the sins of the world. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, how deep and long and wide is your love for us that you sent your son to die for our sins. He died for us even while we were yet sinners. That proves your love toward us. Lord, thank you for forgiving us. Help us to be ever mindful as we go through this week and as we go through our days for what Jesus has done for us. Amen.